Hello, everybody. Just a quick disclaimer before this week's episode. As you know, we've been recording our episodes remotely lately due to the COVID-19 pandemic, so please excuse the slight dip in audio quality. I also wanted to give a shout out to all the nurses, doctors, and medical professionals working every day to save lives. Y'all are the real heroes, and we love you. And now, here's the show. From the beautiful city of West Hollywood, we bring you Film Forward, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival. Hey, hey, welcome to Film Forward, everybody. We are gearing up for the Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival, which kicks off next week, starting August 4th. And today we are honored to be joined by writer-director of the incredible short film, Make Me the Tennessee, Sasha Pasternak. Thank you for joining us today, Sasha. Thank you so much for having me. Sasha, tell us about your film, Make Me the Tennessee. So Make Me the Tennessee is a short form, I call it a period drama, which Mm. examines kind of what happens when those in power, specifically the police, ignore the deadly outcome of domestic abuse through kind of an in-depth look at one woman's need for revenge. It follows just this one character and her tackling the issue that is very often ignored, violence, especially when it comes to women who are married to policemen. Women and men, actually, I should say. It's not just women. Yeah. What I love so much about your film is how economical you are. It touches on a lot of very important themes and ideas in a very short runtime. And I think it's a very apt viewing right now as like a sharp critique of, as you said, people who abuse their power, people in power who don't do what they should be doing. Take us into your writing process, if you can, developing those themes, you know, creating those themes. And what was your research process like? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually wrote this film while I was studying, getting my master's at USC. I went to the John Wells division and we, you know, started writing these short pieces that we needed to kind of research and develop from a single concept. And for me, that was inspired by an article that I read very recently in the past few years about a woman who had suffered a terrible domestic violence from her husband, who was a policeman and how this issue is still really prevalent and still happening today. And I was under the impression, like I think a lot of people, that this had been kind of resolved, Mm -hmm. that that domestic abuse wasn't still happening in the same way. And in fact, in my research, I in a deep dive research, I realized that in fact, it's worse now than it's ever been. And that kind of spurred me on. And that's kind of what inspired the initial idea. And then I heard this brilliant piece of music, which the title of the film is based off of, Mm -hmm. Make Me the Tennessee, a song by a duo called The Secret Sisters. And it kind of also spurred that creative thought process because the song was very much about secrets that we hide and things that we don't talk about because it's too painful and how we bury them as deep as we possibly can. And that kind of, you know, really inspired Kathy, the lead character and her exploration and kind of discovery of her need for revenge and how she was going to go about getting it. You really knock it out of the park with the screenplay. (laughs) The dialogue is incredible. It's just a ripping, well-made short. Thank you. I love the way that you build tension through the film also, and much of it you do through your leads, Anika Marks and Chris Sullivan. Yeah, I call myself the luckiest young director there is because this was my first real kind of foray into short filmmaking. I had come from theater and from acting, and this was my first kind of big directing thing. And I got these actors that just are absolutely mind-blowingly incredible. And they were a gift because they made my life 
so much easier in working with them. They are the penultimate professionals and they just brought so much to the table, literally to the kitchen table. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, you mentioned, you you know, you have a theater background, you have a directing and acting background in theater. How does your background and training in theater help with your film directing? How did it translate? What did you take from it? I mean, for me, I the films that I love the most and the pieces that, you know, the theater as well that I love the most, but really the films that I love the most are the ones that just let the actors talk. Mm-hmm. You know, I love, I love big action movies and I love, you know, the kind of dazzle of Hollywood. But I think the real brilliance of filmmaking is when you let these great actors just be. Yeah. When you let them connect in a visceral way, one-on-one and just let them speak. And that was really what I wanted to explore. And I, at the time that I wrote it, I was also very fascinated by Hitchcock's bomb under the table concept, mm-hmm. which, you know, for those who don't know, you know, there's a bomb under the table and the audience knows it and one character knows it and the other one doesn't. And it's, it creates this brilliant tension that can drive an entire movie. And I was really fascinated by that idea that that, that one character knows something the other doesn't. And how through dialogue, through sitting at a kitchen table, can you explore that? And what happens when the bomb goes off? Right. And so for me, that was my acting background drives that. And pretty much everything I write now, as my teachers at USC always said, they would kind of pull me back on my scenes because I could write 10 page dialogue scenes where actors just go. And as I explore my screenwriting and filmmaking, I want to keep doing that and allow actors to really take their time. Well, we want you to keep doing it because you're damn good at it. Thank you. I know in your research process, you also, you interviewed some victims of domestic violence. Mm -hmm. What were, if you could, what were some of the things that you learned and how did it affect your writing process? How deep into the writing process were you talking to these women? Yeah, throughout. I I spoke with them prior and with a couple of people prior. And then as I was writing it, I actually had a few of them read it because I wanted to make sure that as I was exploring the world and concept that I was doing it justice and that I was making sure that these voices were being heard appropriately. Mm -hmm. And in talking to these women and also a few men, what really shocked me was that their heartbreak and their anger was not only towards their abuser, of course, but towards the people that knew the abuse was happening and didn't do anything. Right. And what I've discovered is that this is really hugely part of the problem Mm -hmm. (laughs) that this is not, you know, that people ignore issues because it's private. They think it's private. It's their home. It's not my place, not my job to step in. And for these victims, people staying away and not stepping in led to some real damage. And that was really where the heartbreak came from. And that's kind of, you know, the real core exploration of the film is a woman who tried to step in and blames herself and blames those around her for knowing that this was happening and nobody stepping up and doing something until it was too late. And that kind of drove this story because I think, you know, even today, which is shocking, even today in this day and age, we don't want to deal with it and we don't want to talk about it. Yeah. We don't want to deal and talk about a lot of things that yeah. are un- uncomfortable and yes. need, to, need to be changed. But hopefully this film will, you know, for those who see it, it'll be a step in the right direction. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. And it was, you know, it was important to us very much so. And something that Chris Sullivan brilliantly brought to the piece was that there is no evil character. Everybody's three-dimensional. He does bad things, his character, and he eventually, you know, suffers for those choices. But we didn't want him to just be this one-dimensional villain. You know, we really wanted somebody who could bring humanity to that character and a three-dimensional understanding. And, And Chris Sullivan is just 
amazing. Yeah, he's, he's, he's really great to watch. Yeah. Talk to us, if you can, a little bit about the collaboration with your technical team, because they did a great job. As you mentioned, it's a period piece, takes place in the early 80s, correct? Yes, absolutely. It really feels authentic of the time. And I especially love your cinematography, <laughs> the work by Allie. Allie Schultz is your cinematographer, correct? Yes, she's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And she, you know, she came on board really early because we knew it was going to be a challenge. And we knew that it was, you know, it's also a challenge because we shot the whole thing in Los Angeles. We didn't go Mm -hmm. to any locations. We had to make it work here. And she came in with so many wonderful ideas, really listened and really kind of explored the story with me in a visual medium, but also in a way that told Kathy and Hank's story simply. You know, what was important to me was that it's a dinner table scene and there's a million of them. We've seen them over and over again. But the way Allie was able to capture their reactions and their interaction was so masterful. She just did it so beautifully. And she also really understands the scope of, you know, I came to her and I said, you know, I love these specific films. I love the feel of them. I love the look at them. And she was able to take that and really make it her own. So she didn't Mm -hmm. copy anything, which was to me is the mark of a great cinematographer. There was no imitation. She simply took what I liked from other films and made it her own individual style, which was magic. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I am excited to see what she has next. I'm excited to see what you have next, Sasha. Tell the audience real quick where they can find you, where they can follow you in the film. Well, the film has a great website, makemethetennessee.com, which everybody can visit. It has all our information about our entire cast and crew. And you can also find more information about me at sashapasternak.com. And, you know, as I, you know, navigate this pandemic, hopefully more art and more writing, more filmmaking will come out of it. You must keep at it because (laughs) you're too damn good. You're too damn good at it. Thank you. You can catch Make Me the Tennessee at LADFF from August 4th through August 30th, and it's going to be available at LADFF.com. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, Sasha is going to help us out with our favorite segment, Give Me Three. The Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival will be available to a worldwide audience this year. Due to the global pandemic, our annual in-person event is postponed, but you can still view our incredible program online. From August 4th through August 30th, visit LADFF.com to rent our curated film blocks, or you can buy a VIP pass, which gives you access to our entire program for the month. We have over 50 films from 17 different countries. Comedy, thriller, drama, musicals, docs, we've got something for everybody. So check out the 7th Annual Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival starting August 4th exclusively at LADFF.com. All right, everybody, we are back on Film Forward. We are joined by director Sasha Pasternak. She is going to give us three film recommendations that have inspired her, inspired her work. Miss Sasha, let's get your first one. All right. My first one is Before Sunset by Richard Linklater. I will give a caveat that it's actually the entire trilogy I love, but of the three, Before Sunset is my favorite. Why Before Sunset your favorite? I don't disagree with it. I'm just curious as to why that one's your favorite of the three. There's such magic to that film and the brilliance of these two characters who haven't seen each other in so long reconnecting and 
his navigation of that, you know, his and their, because, you know, the two actors are so involved in the development of the film, but Mm -hmm. the navigation of how these two people reconnect and those brilliant moments of shared history and then also an understanding of missed time and how they can move through space together as strangers, but also as longtime friends. And there's something that just... It's magic. I, I think that there's also the way he films it and the movement. I mean, all three films, but specifically in Before Sunset, the movement of the piece is effortless. Yeah. And I think he found a rhythm with it that he hadn't quite in the first one. I agree wholeheartedly. I love Christopher Nolan as much as the next guy, but <laughs> the way that Linklater explores time yeah. and memory yeah. in his films is so beautiful and romantic he makes it feel effortless which is what i think you know it's a master class i think for any screenwriter or any director that wants to especially scene study it's a master class in making it look like nothing is happening and yet yeah (laughs) everything is happening but yet yet you're exploring the depths of yourself as the viewer and you're like going into like all these psyches of yourself and the history you've had with past relationships and this and that and what it means to be a human being like i mean yeah you said it perfectly well it's a master class because it feels like you're watching a romance film but you're also like you know reading philosophy book or something it's and you feel like you've you feel like you know them. That's the, mm-hmm. I think, the real key to it. And I think the reason that those two actors made three films together that seem to last the test of time, that you yeah. feel like you know them and that you, you're with them, you're walking with them. Absolutely. I remember when they're walking up the steps to go to her apartment. Mm-hmm. I remember the first time watching it, I'm like my heart was racing and I had like butterflies in my stomach and I was like, he's put me in their shoes. Mm-hmm. You know, he's put the anticipation and the lust and love and urgency and mystery like into my body somehow. It's it's incredible. Yeah, it's beautiful. And then she sings and it's, you know, and, yeah. and, and there's something so magical about the fact that she sings an entire, you know, she plays music and she dances and she sings and there's no, the audience never once says this is strange or this is yeah. You know, we believe it. Mm -hmm. If you guys have not seen it before sunset, it's a must watch. The trilogy is a must watch. Watch them in order. And, you know, yeah, (laughs) get get ready to love and think and learn and cry. Have a wonderful Um, six hours. Yes. Okay. That's hard to follow up because now Uh I got got tears (laughs) in my eyes. But what's your second one? (laughs) My second one is a strange follow up, but it's actually Silence of the Lambs. Jonathan Demme. Very romantic film also. So romantic. (laughs) So romantic. Yeah. It's one of the only films I've seen maybe 10 times. And every single time I watch it, I'm scared for her to go into that house. And Mm -hmm. there's a genius to that where I know what happens. I've seen it. I know the story and I know what's going to unfold. And yet every time I watch it, I am terrified for her. And that's masterful storytelling. I mean, that's something that I strive for in, in everything I create, that you can keep an audience with you despite multiple viewings. Absolutely. I think you touched on, you know, we were touching on it with your film earlier about, you know, loving when directors place the camera and let the actors do their thing. I think Demi does that so well, both with with Anthony Hopkins, but really with Jodie Foster. Like he just puts the camera on her face for long periods of this movie and just her like subtle, nuanced facial expressions and tics and 
it's hypnotic to watch what those two do. Absolutely. And the fact that they're, you know, have nothing but a sheet of glass between them. Mm -hmm. And again, you're scared for her. He's locked up. He can't get to her. And yet you're just terrified the entire time. And that's really special (laughs) in a weird way. For sure. <laughs> for sure. Silence of the Lambs. I'm sure most have seen it, but it is, it's worth a rewatch. I rewatched it last night and I was like, it was probably the first time I re- had watched it beginning to end in like 10, 15 years. Like if it's sure. on TV or something, I'll be like, yeah, fuck yeah, I'll put this on. But it was the first time I watched it beginning to end in a long time. And it, it was an yeah. exhilarating experience. Good, good. Yeah, it holds up. It holds up yeah. always. Excellent second choice. Great. Now for... Third. Your third and final. (laughs) Third and final is uh, Get Out by Jordan Peele, which, you know, I think is a lot of people's on their list. That script is unparalleled. It is Mm -hmm. really, really brilliant. And I remember when I saw it the first time, I I liked it a lot. I I really enjoyed it. And I thought, God, that's brilliant filmmaking. And then I watched it a second time. And it really was the second viewing that kind of took my breath away. Because the first, you know, the first time you see it, you're just scared. You're, You're terrified for him. And you're screaming, get out, get out. And the second time you see it, you really can understand what Jordan Peele did. Yeah. Which was... Uh, something that most screenwriters will strive to achieve and and some will do and some won't. (laughs) Most won't. Let's just put it out there right now. Most won't. Like that is as tight of and creative and brilliant as a script has been in probably the last 20 years. I agree. It's it's special and it's, you know, uh, and something that I'm very happy was recognized. Yeah. I like to read scripts and then I like to watch a film and if I love it, then I'll read the script and then I'll watch it again. And uh, that's that's a mark of a good writer and director. (laughs) I, I love it. I, I'll break them down. And and that's mm-hmm. one that I just loved reading as well. Yeah. You know, I would highly recommend to anybody who can get their hands on, a, you know, a copy of the script to give it a read because, it, you know, the film's incredible, but just being able to kind of dive into the writing is also really a treat. You just appreciate the craft. The words fly off the page. It's a great read and a great watch. This is the second Get Out, Give Me Three recommendation we've had from our LADFF filmmakers. Before we recorded, Sasha asked me, is it okay if I give it again i say of course if it was a bad movie i'd say no it's not it's that's not okay but it is a great film and i'm happy you picked it again because yeah i could talk about that movie for forever but unfortunately we don't have too much time <laughs> Fair um, enough. sasha thank you for three incredible recommendations thank you for making an incredible film and for sharing it with the festival. We are really honored and humbled to be showing it and have it as a part of our festival this year. Well, thank you so much for having me and thank you for showing the film. I hope people enjoy it. I'm sure they will. And if they don't, they can come and fight me. (laughs) And Make Me the Tennessee will be available at the Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival starting August 4th at LADFF.com. It'll be available all the way through August 30th, and it'll be a part of the Her Story block, along with three other incredible short films that you're not going to want to miss. Thank you guys all for listening to Film Forward, and we will catch you next time. Our recording engineer and mixer is Anselm Kennedy. The podcast is produced by Anselm, Sonia Maru, and yours truly. Thanks for joining us on Film Forward, and you'll hear us next time.